Hey everybody, welcome back to episode six. Hi. Or more like hi. Hi. That that was like a really like half-assed hi for the first time around. That's anyway, okay. it's um, um it's early. I woke up at like quarter to I woke up at like eleven thirty. Right, you're like you're like only semi-caffeinated right now. Yeah, I'm a quarter of a cup of coffee in. So yeah. this is this is my like eight o'clock in the morning feel. So we're getting yeah. there. And, and I don't I don't really drink coffee, but I'm only two leftover pieces of pizza into my Saturday. So, you know, same difference. Um, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. Hi, I'm Nick. Hey, I'm Ashley. And this is Copyators Die First. Welcome yeah. back. This is exciting. I'm really excited that we're um, continuing this uh celebrating women in horror in february because hi that's basically our brand anyway women in horror all the time right and obviously if we're celebrating women in horror we have to celebrate our goddess jamie lee curtis so um i think think we should get um collectively i wish we had like a a joint studio that we were in together so that we can get one of those like uh you know virgin mary candles of jamie lee curtis that we can put up um number one that probably exists on etsy Number oh, two. I guarantee it. Yes. If they do, I'm purchasing one for both of us, and they're going <gasps> to go on our work desks. Oh, my God. That'd be so good. That's definitely happening. Um, yeah, but so we wanted to obviously hit upon a Jamie Lee Curtis movie, um, and my pick for that piece of cinema was Prom Night. Um and I think we're going to get into this, but uh, the general consensus here is that we both had to rewatch it. And that's typically typically how Copulators Die First goes. We'll pick a movie and then in real time rewatch it before we tell you all of our feelings about it. And this is one of those movies where you remember it as being fine and then you rewatch it and you're like, what flaming pile of vomit garbage Ooh, um, was, was I convinced into thinking was an okay piece of horror movie. Um, okay, so here this, here's the thing. I did some internet digging because, hi, Copulator Cyphers, we are all about research and um, development to bring you the best possible content. But supposedly this film was basically... Um, like in the can and then they're like hey if we can get jamie lee curtis because she was fresh and hot right off of uh halloween like maybe like a year after halloween came out um that's when they were actually able to get like real funding to kind of push this thing into production because um i think it was made for a collective like 35 Mm dollars because it is a hot trash mess Right. So, I mean, here's so so number one, I don't mean this in a derogatory way. Um, This is a Canadian horror movie. Okay. Um, Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that until I did some um, some Internet digging, some IMDb Uh, to consult my notes. And I was like, oh, that's mm -hmm. weird. But okay, And like and when, when I say that, it's like, you know. Canada is wonderful for many reasons. Um, I hope to visit any part of Canada at some point in my life. But one thing they're not known for is like good horror movies 
in general. Um, I mean, you're probably going to correct me if I'm wrong, uh, viewers slash listeners out there, because there's nothing that you need to use your eyeballs to consume this media, but that's not the point. Um, you know, email us, uh, DM us on Instagram. Let us know if I'm not right with that, because um, I'm sure I'm not. But, like, in my head, like, Canada's not known as horror movies being one of their main exports. So there's that. Yeah, I would like I would like to know. Um, I would like to do... I don't know when Canada Day is, but we'll do, like, a Canada Day special and, like, do a... Do a Canadian horror movie that's not this. Sure, sure. I'm totally up for that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, let's just give all of the background information up front. Uh, this will be a new exercise for us, but I feel like for this movie, it's necessary. Um, so, so first and foremost, um, the Jamie Lee Curtis connection here is that the director of this movie is Paul Lynch. Um, he had a meeting with producer Erwin Yablans. Yablans. I don't know. But he produced the 1978 Halloween, which of course Jamie Lee Curtis, her big breakout role. Um, And basically Lynch wanted to make a horror movie um, and he was basing it on this short story by this guy Robert Guza Jr. um, about a group of teenagers who basically very much like I know what you did last summer um, were a part of this tragic event and it comes back to haunt them later on in life. So like surprise, surprise. But um, they adapt this short story (laughs) into this film um, and he wanted to base the plot of the movie around a holiday, a a typical event that everyone could relate to. So his mind went to the prom? I don't know. I mean, I'm glad this movie is made and a part of my life. But when you break this movie down, it's like, what was happening you know, it is it is one of the weirdest things that I've so, ever seen. And like I tried to consult IMDB to like um just make sure my notes were on par. Uh-huh. And I was like, Nope. Um my notes are basically IMDB. So okay. Mm-hmm. It's not just me that thinks this is a weird pile of, you know, Canadian right. bullshit. I don't know. Right. So so here's the exciting thing. For me and for listeners of Copulators Die First, um, if you recall in our last episode about the craft, um, we got into a whole Brady Bunch tiff because uh, the <laughs> girl who plays Marsha Brady um, in the Brady Bunch movie is the bitch in the craft um, that, you know, kind of uh, attacks, berates Rochelle, uh, whatever verb you want to use whatever action word but regardless um so for prom night the brady bunch connection is that um so this film is being made um originally um eve plum who plays jan brady um in real life in the show the the original show. show in the original show 
um, was originally up for the role of Kim Hammond, which is Jake <gasps> Curtis's character. Shut up. And then I guess maybe because of like the Halloween connection or something, like uh, clearly this movie wasn't moving forward. And who knows why Jamie Lee Curtis was like, put me in that prom night movie. I'm all up for it. But put me in, coach. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's kind of how I picture this being like prom night. Yeah, I'll do that. Put me in, coach. And then so Jamie Lee Curtis's manager calls Paul Lynch and is like, Jamie's interested in the movie. And they're like, okay, let's bump Jam Brady and get Jamie Lee in here. And we got this movie going. Holler. Um, Oh, man. And that, that's how Prom Night came to be. Um, another fun fact, um, Jamie Lee Curtis received a salary of $30,000 in 1980 for this film, um, which is the equivalent of $91,224 in 2018. So Ooh. she actually got a pretty good amount of money. For yeah, especially movie. for, was it like basically her second feature film, right? Something uh, like that? Yeah, it's like pretty much, I mean, I don't know if there was something else in between prom night and Halloween, but like, it's definitely like pretty quick after Halloween happened. Like, let's get Jamie and other things. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's just a little bit of uh, background on this film. Um, I cannot believe there was a fucking Brady Bunch connection. Like, what that's so if- weird. Right. And so, like, my concern slash excitement is, what if every time now um, we somehow find a Brady Bunch connection between every movie that we do? Oh, my God. Can we at least try and make that a challenge? Can we, like, well, can now we, we challenge our... Yeah, it's, like, it's too coincidental and it's weird. Right. Um, I mean... I'm looking... Yeah. I'm IMDb-ing this really quick because I want to see how soon after Halloween this came out because I do like a Jamie Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Halloween came out in 78. Mm -hmm. She was on one episode of The Love Boat to follow. Of course, yeah. (laughs) The Love Boat. Oh, so it was filmed in 1979, so it probably was right after. It's her third movie because Uh, after, uh. after that, after Love Boat, she was on an episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Um, and then she was in The Fog, which is another, you know, favorite. Yes. Um, yes. And then Prom Night. And then uh, Terror Train, which we've discussed um, doing in the yeah. past. So I we'll mean, get there eventually. Yeah. And The Fog we'll get to as well. Um, oh, my God. She was in Escape from New York. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't either. Maybe yeah, we don't know was... enough about our goddess. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. There's some weird... I mean... Hey, listen, she's a budding actress, and she's I mean, done a lot take, of weird stuff. Yeah, you're going to take what you got to get, or whatever. Um, take what you can get, um, and that's fine. Um, so, another question about this movie. Um, okay. How did, Leslie Niel- how did Leslie Nielsen end up in this movie? Oh, my God. I, like, okay, so, again, when I was... IMDb-ing, because I just like to do my research preliminary before I sit down to watch a movie, just so I can, like, know who to look out for, you know, noteworthy things. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who, where did Leslie Nielsen come from? Because, right. like, he is not at all who I would um, picture in a role like this. Yeah. And, or cast for a role like this. It's just so out of, like, left field. That it doesn't make sense, but somehow it worked. 
I mean, yeah, uh, it it certainly quote worked. Um, yeah, I mean, to the best I mean, of the ability of the film. Yeah, he's totally fine. It's just like number one, how did he end up auditioning for this movie? Did he audition for this movie? Was it just offered to him? And like, who was like, you know, who we need to get to be Jamie Lee Curtis's father? Leslie Nielsen. That makes perfect yeah. sense to me. I wouldn't like, have. I wouldn't have picked that. Yeah. So whatever. Um, this movie yeah. is full of weird things like that. Like we were watching it, and so they're supposed to be. I'm assuming like high school junior seniors, right? Like because right. because prom. Um, and at the time, because of because of the time period, everybody in this movie looked like they were in their 30s because of the hairstyles. Mm-hmm. And Liam was like, what the hell is going on? Like, how old is Jamie Lee Curtis with that, like, permed, like, mullet situation that she had going on? Oh, I, I loved her hair in this movie. Oh, it was, it was so gorgeous. good. It was but she was She was 22. Okay. She I was mean, 22. I, I, don't, I, I didn't find myself questioning anyone's age in this movie. But, I mean, the other thing to think about here is that this movie came out in 1980. But, like, it's very much a 70s movie. Oh, yeah. One of my like, notes... <coughs> one of my notes basically... Oh, oh, oh. The budget was 1500000 Canadian dollars. Mm. So, I don't know what that is. But the gross was 14796236 U.S. dollars. Okay. All right. So it did okay. It did make money. That that's good. That's good to know. Um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, ultimately, I picked this movie for a couple different reasons. One, Jamie Lee Curtis. Two, Disco Madness Prom. Um, yeah. I mean, as I was telling Ashley before we started recording, um, the first time I watched this movie. I think I might have just had like, you know, not rose colored glasses, but like disco ball glasses on um, because something that you're going to learn about me right now is that um, disco music is like my favorite of all time. Um, Every gay man has their diva and Donna Summer is mine. And we talked Um, about this last episode because your drag name. Oh, right. We did. Right. We did. Okay. So, yeah. But so I'm reiterating Donna Summer is my diva, but like disco music is my jam. Like as like many people, like, you know, if you're listening to music to like get something done, just background, whatever, maybe they're listening to like some like easy listening, like CD 101.9, whatever. I'm listening to some type of disco. Um, So it just it felt like this movie was made for me because it's a slasher flick. There's a disco prom. Jamie Lee Curtis has a full on dance sequence. Um, there's a fucking disco dance floor and like a full on production value, like light up stage in this auditorium. Like it's just like, it's a fever dream of mine, you know? Um, they, um, so they were like, uh, they had, when they did the disco scene, they had, like, actual 
popular disco music selected for it. Oh yeah. And they then did. they were like they were like um we can't afford any of this. Right. So they they called up they of course not because they had like a pretty low budget for whatever this is. So they called up a guy named Paul Zaza and he's a composer and he's done like he's done a lot of big things. He's done all the music actually for um all the prom nights. But they were like, "Hey, we can't afford this." So what we want you to do is copy this to the best of your ability that won't get us sued. So it's basically the watered-down version of every popular disco song from around 1980. Right. And, like, to be honest with you, like, kudos to him. He did a pretty good job um, because I love the soundtrack. Like, one of the best things about this movie is the original disco mu- I mean, well, I guess it's technically semi-original disco music. Um, but, like, the soundtrack was released. Um, it's really hard to find a copy in the U.S. because it was only released overseas, I believe, only in Asia. Or, like, specifically Japan or something that's, like that. I mean, that's weird, but it's Japan. So. Um, well, so the the people who were doing the strategizing for this movie in the U.S. decided not to have the original soundtrack released in the U.S. because the disco craze was on its decline. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, if I was a teenager and I went to go see this movie and I'm like, there's an original disco soundtrack to this ridiculous movie I just saw, yes, I want to own it. But that's also because you're a gay man. I, I Well, yeah. So long story <laughs> short, whatever. Um, like, I've made it known to Arthur multiple times that if he can ever find a copy of this, it has to be a Christmas gift or something. Because I want it. I need it. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a song called Prom Night. And the lyrics go as thus. Prom Night. Everything is all right. And then it just repeats over and over again. But it's like a, you know, it's disco. And disco, disco tune. Is, disco is everything. Disco he also, is like the heartbeat of the 70s. Literally. Um, I mean, your mom got down with it. That's so. true. She did. With her little fro and her knee-high socks and I don't know. Roller skates? Roller skates. I The one thing, like, I picture my mom. And then I'm just like, I'm concerned my mom was a hoe. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm concerned Camille was a hoe. Um, like <laughs> knowing her now, I feel like that's probably not the way it went down. But like, I feel gross saying that about your mom yeah. because I know your mom. <laughs> there, there's like, like knowing that my mom was very much a active part of the roller disco scene. Um, oh. in her youth, was your mom like, a roller hoe? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like there's a big probability of that, right? Oh, my God. Um, and then she ended up settling down with, um, well, we don't have to get into that. But <laughs> this guy, this guy, Paul, also did the original soundtrack for My Bloody Valentine, which okay. is one of our favorites. That is true. Um, and one of my personal favorites that um, is a holiday staple in our house well, not so much anymore because I'm married and my wife hates it. But hi, I'm from Cleveland now, and it's a Christmas story. And the Christmas story is set in Cleveland. And the Christmas story house that was filmed here is literally like 15 blocks from where I live. So That's we can cool. 
Yeah, we can go. We can go go drive by that when you come visit. So when yeah, when I when I make my when I make my visit this year, we're gonna have to document it heavily so that we have plenty of material to like prove to people on the Instagram that we are friends that enjoy each other's uh, company. Um, oh yeah. True. Um, but also, like, we need to like we need to live our lives and uh, experience wonderful experiences. Um, so yeah, I'm down for all of that stuff. I feel like there's a lot more to Cleveland than people give it credit for. Like, that's factual. Like, yeah. Yeah, like because Cleveland has number one, like really freaking good food. Like, oh, that's why I gained like 20 pounds in the yeah. last 10 years that I've been here. Like, like I'm going to gain 20 pounds if I come to visit you for like five days. I'm going to come home like 20 pounds heavier. Like, oh my high. God, that's the goal because the food is so good. Yeah. Um, and like I actually have a friend who um, is a resident at some Cleveland hospital. Probably Cleveland um, Clinic. It's like one of the bigger ones here. Yeah, but so he he lives in Cleveland now as well. And like, you know, he just he seems to like generally be having like a really fantastic time. Like there's a really good drag scene in Cleveland. Um, like hi Nina it's West. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. Nina West is in Columbus. That's like two Oh, that's Columbus. Yeah, that's like two okay. hours away, but hey, it's a drivable distance. Oh, we can do that. Maybe my friend's in Columbus then. Whatever. That's possible. It doesn't matter. Um, apples and oranges. That's fine. Apples and oranges, both with the seas, both in Ohio. I mean, regardless, the point is like um, I haven't been to Cleveland yet, but like I'm very well aware there's a lot more going on there than people give a credit for. Um, um, we drove we drove you and my sister up to Cleveland like one day while you right? were here. What's that we, hot like, dog place, right? Oh, we did. We went to Happy Dog. Shout out to Happy Dog uh, Cleveland because uh, hi, we're going again because I need those like delicious like basket of like tater tots. I remember okay. those tater tots. Oh, those I tater. Do. I dream of those tater tots, and it's literally three blocks from my house. That's dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. Like one of the only reasons that I've maintained my weight living on Staten Island is that there's no Taco Bell's on Staten Island. Ugh. Um, and uh, if there was, like, sure, there's plenty of really good food here on Staten Island, but like, if I want to like have gross motherfucking one o'clock in the morning food. And there was a Taco Bell near me. I'm going to Taco Bell. Um, But, like, if there was a place, like, Happy Dog three blocks away from me, like, I'd be going to Happy Dog. Oh, my God. Happy Dog is so good. Yeah. I'm so excited to go with you. We need to, like, have, like, a relive our date situation because Happy Dog is so good. Those tots, those hot dogs, they've, I mean, I'm not going to plug for Happy Dog. They don't need, they don't need my help whatsoever. But yeah, they seem to I be just doing good business. Oh, yeah, Cleveland has like since I've been here. I've been living in Cleveland for about five years, and um, Cleveland, f- like food wise, is like skyrocketing right now. We're getting like national recognition. Like my favorite yeah. place to go eat is called Banter, and they're like poutine and like brats and stuff. Because hi, Cleveland's like mostly like, um, like Slavic. Uh, heritage so like brats pierogies that's all over cleveland oh my god that's like a dream i know but banter was just featured this year in usa today and forbes top places to eat in 2019 so 
Okay. Well, you're you're getting a cult. Yeah, we're going. You're getting a yeah. culture experience. I don't know if you're like a beer drinker, but they have like a really cool room of like local beers, like, and they're all stupid cheap. Like, you're not gonna pay like nine dollars for a beer. Like, you pay. I think the most I've ever paid for a beer there is like three dollars. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's um, like a can of beer. Not 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 the case in in New York City, but um. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of beer, especially when I'm consuming it with something greasy and meaty and delicious. Oh, like poutine and brats, perfect date night. Ding, ding, ding. Hi. Yeah. So let's, um, um. Oh, that's our Canadian connection, the poutine. Thanks. Poutine, Canadian connection. Education connection. Canadian connection. Prom night. Everything oh. is alright. I feel like that's on the soundtrack. It is. Oh, the Canadian connection? It might be. Yeah, about the really and the murder. Yeah. Um, okay, so circling back to the beginning, uh, this movie. Yeah. Um, so in the first five minutes, I want to know what cameraman smudged Vaseline all over their lens for the entire 90 minutes that I was watching this. Um, yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah. It was a lot. The whole thing it was like was Vaseline. It, it, was, it was the RuPaul's Drag Race season one filter. Oh, um, God, gross. Yeah. So murder children, they're playing this weird like hide and seek game that I'm that I'm not a fan of. Why? I, I have many questions. I have who many let, questions about. Yeah, this. my first one is who let these? Oh, well, again, it was like the seventies, but who let these children run rampant in like an abandoned um, like warehouse? Yeah, yeah. Without you took supervision, the word right out of my mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Um and. Per my research, that was actually shot on, um, like, a work grounds for a prison. Like, that part that part of the prison, like, wasn't used anymore. Okay. But, hi, inmate, um, inmates doing, you know, basically <laughs> slave labor. I guess they used to work there and, you know, press Canadian license plates or whatever. I don't know. But oh my that's one of the locations. It's in, um, like, an old prison work farm. That blows my mind. Yeah, isn't that what weird? The act, like what the actual sweet fuck, like what mm-hmm. they filmed with small children and a prison. Yeah, one of them was uh, the director's son. Oh wow! All right, I mean, again, talk about nepotism. But like, also, like, wind it back. It is the seventies, so like, I, I, but still, that's that's so many things piled on top of each other. Yeah, that's a Girl. lot of things to unpack that we're not going to get to today. Yeah, um, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have time for that. Also, so um, the two, so so now, you know, the, the those those four kids, Wendy, Jude, Kelly, and Nick, are playing this murder game in this uh, abandoned jail building. Yeah, um, but then you know, Jamie Lee. As a smaller child and her two siblings are, you know, walking by on their way home. Um, And at first, like, I was stricken by the fact that Jamie's or Kim's um, two siblings were wearing matching black and white striped turtlenecks. And I was like, what is this tomfoolery? Um, Took me like five minutes later for my mind to be like, Oh, light bulb, they're twins. 
Well, yeah, because when you have twins, that's what you, you have do. To you dress you, them alike. Well, right. duh. Yeah. Um, so like, why not dress them like half mimes? Like, I don't <laughs> you. Um, I hate but, that. So I was like, okay, interesting choice in wardrobe, but you know, here nor there. Um, and then what's the sister's name? Robin. Robin's like, oh, um, Kim has to go back and get a book. And then like, Alex is like, I'll just meander on home, I guess. Um, and then, you know, Robin's like, let me join these children in this abandoned building. Um, as like, and like, I don't know if I was a small child and I just hear people screaming the words kill and murderer, I'm not going to be like, that's a place I want to be, but whatever. Um, I mean, that's a life choice. That's a whole life choice. And obviously, Kill and murder. Not yeah. for me. Especially not children. I think right, we've talked about not, this. I don't, I don't like and children. And like, we're putting a lot of heavy criticism on this. But number one, it's the 70s. Number two, we wouldn't have the rest of the movie if Robin did not go in this building um, and get, like, heavily bullied by these children. Okay, um, let me let me clarify. I love children. I don't love murder children. <laughs> I don't ex- especially don't love the fucking cunt bitch face Wendy. Okay? Uh, why is I always... hate this uh, girl so Wendy. much. Wendy. Um I I hate her as a small child. I hate her as a teenager. Um like fuck you. I hate you. Like you have made poor life choices. Get yourself together. You seem like you have the money to go see some type of psychologist or therapist. Do it. Like, and again, it was the 70s. I get it. But like, girl, you are living in a dark space. Anyway. Yeah, she needs some um, professional help. Yeah. Um, So like, so yeah. So Wendy's the ringleader of these four children. um, And... It gets to the point where all four of them are, like, cornering Robin. I mean, do they not see that they're pushing her towards a window? Oh, they see it, and they just don't like, care. So, so like, ultimately, like, they're all like, oh, my gosh, it wasn't our fault. I mean, it kind of was. You were pushing her towards an, a window. You know what I mean? Like, stop it. Also, they don't really, like, disclose how old they are, but you can gather they're probably between the ages of like 10 and 12 yeah yeah and kim's like 11 12 13 yeah so um during this thing that's happening they basically shove robin out the window and then they're like don't you fucking say anything to anybody ever correction (laughs) wendy says yeah i can tell anybody ever anything about this and i'm like bitch you are far too young um, to have this type of conspiracy theorist strain of thought, like you are a piece of shit. Um, Slow and down. then like, which one is it? Um, Kelly. Kelly's like a ball of nerves. Like oh. Jesus Christ! Like <laughs> with her little pigtails, she's like, oh my yeah. god, we're going to jail. Yeah, like she's just like, like get a hold of yourself, girlfriend, and like. Nick is, like, kind of remorseful, but, like, also, you didn't do anything either, you know? So, I like... I shrug, but I'm not, ex- like, expressly yeah. complicit. Like, I didn't actually push her out, but I was here. Right. 
So, like, I don't really feel bad. Like, mm, deal with your demons now. You created them. Sorry about it. Um, And so that's that. You know, Robin dies because she falls on a pile of broken windows. And we assume that a combination of the blunt force trauma of falling out the window and the glass and all the things probably, like, I don't know severed her spinal column or something but robin has died there is minimal blood in the scene but she has died um and then this is kind of where this like the first half an hour to 45 minutes is kind of really boring like up until the point where the disco prom starts it's kind of boring to me um and i think it's because It almost reads like a crime procedural um, because like Robin dies and then immediately the police come in and they're like, we think we know who did this. It's a um, child rapist or like molester, something along those lines, um, who's like on the loose right now. Yeah, his name was um, Leonard Munch or Murch, something like that. Leonard. That was like that was like a subplot that was added, I think, in post production. They were just kind of like, well, let's reshoot some of this and and retool some of it to make it work to our advantage because this has no direction whatsoever. Right. So like, yeah, and I mean, I get it, like I do, but like it really does become like a crime show to me. And then we're like completely taken out of like any type of horror. Up until the time the killer shows up. Um, because it just kind of becomes like this family, you know, who is mourning the loss of their sister slash child. Um, and it's these people preparing for prom. Um, and I don't know. It was just, I think that's for me where it became like two separate things. Um, and then I have to question like, did they just make this movie in order to have an excuse to like make a movie about a disco prom? Cause like, that's where all the money went to. Yeah. It was in the production of the disco prom. They spent um, probably $35 on that disco ball, 185 on that dance floor and like m- maybe fifty bucks on costumes. Like I mean, they no, that looked like a really expensive setup. Like that was like the disco floor with the lights in it, and like oh my god, they spent so much know. time on it too. Right? Like 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 building that up. I was like, oh my god, Jamie Lee Curtis doing the bump, right? Like with wasn't it her brother? Wasn't it Alex? Uh, no, it was. I don't know. It was, it was Nick. Okay, see, listen, all the boys in this movie. Other than other than Lou, who right. looks like Lou Ferrigno oh. had a baby yes, with, I have like, with baby Sylvester too. Stallone. Because you know it's insinuated that Lou is Italian and that he's basically, like, a barbarian Neanderthal person. Yeah, right? he's a hulking dude. Like, he's um, a big fella. Like, let me tell you something. I am sick of this narrative of how Italians are portrayed in movies. Because as an Italian man... I mean, yes, I am hairy, but I am far from a barbarian person. You are not rough and tumble. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of confounding factors there. But in general, the Italian population of the world is not like barbaric mob people. Um, 
And that's totally where they were going with the Lou character. Um, that's not to say that if Lou like shaved that unibrow, um, Ooh, I wouldn't have out with him. Cause like, I probably <laughs> would have. It happens. Especially it happens. in that like little, like half tuxedo getup. Like that was cute. He had That's big, cute. you know, like big, he was like big, like beefy, he's, like he's burly. Anyway. He's like very like broad up top. And like, he basically looked like the Italian version of Johnny Bravo. Yeah, he did. Except like, like with like a touch of more Neanderthal in him. Cause that's what mm-hmm. they were going for. Anyway, like whatever. Um, and again, it was the seventies. So we'll move on. I mean, it was 79. It was almost the 80s, but it's still, it was the 80s. So a lot of, a lot of perms went into that movie. A lot of perms. Um, So, right. So now we're in this crime procedural and, um, you know, it's the family mourning Robin's death because it's the memorial of her passing and it's also prom night and, I will say, like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Kim, and and her sister, I mean, her brother, Alex, like, they have a cute little, like, repartee back and forth. Like, oh, do you have anyone to go to the prom with? And he's like, no. And she's like, you know, I could probably hook you up with someone. And, you know, like, just have fun. Like, have fun, Alex. Have fun. Um, like, that was cute and whatever. Um Like, I totally understand Mrs. Hammond, like, being distraught by her daughter being taken away from her and stuff. But, like, she also kind of had to get a grip, this one. Like, girl. You're, like, yeah, you better, um, just take, take it easy. Yeah. It's it's been, it's been a couple years. I'm not saying, like, time heals pain or anything of that sort. Because, hi, the grieving process can't be, you know put into a time frame to where it's acceptable for you to move on. That's on everybody's own terms. But, like, Mrs. Hammond is just, like, forever inconsolable. And, like, it kind of, like, tugs on your heartstrings for, like, Kim and Alex. And you're like, you still have two living children. Right. Like, I totally get it. But, like, this is, like, it's been at least five years at this point. Um, Like, you need to live your life. Mrs. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, we have Leslie Nielsen, who's like the principal of the school, slash, she's being the strong husband figure. Um, and like, I don't know. That family is just all over the place. Like, it's prom night, and he's being a principal, and the mom is inconsolable. And it's just like they're all on their own different planes. Um, so there's that. And then it's prom night and the guy who they think is the person that killed Robin, who they ended up tracking down and like he was in an accident. He was somehow deformed in this accident. It sounds like maybe he was burned or something. Um, He has escaped prison. Perhaps he's coming back to start you know, collecting more victims and or to get his revenge on the police department. So, like, that's the storyline that takes over for, like, the next 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. Um, And there's just very short snippets of, like, the kids in school and 
Kim is now dating Nick, who doesn't know that he had anything to do with her sister's death. But, like, Nick kind of wants to tell her, um, but never really gets the chance to, slash doesn't have the balls to, because, like, he could have said it, like, ten different times. Um, But then, you know, we keep jumping between school and the police department. And um, it's like, police department, now we're in the interior of the school. They're going down the hallway. Okay, Kim is dating Nick, but Wendy was dating Nick and, like, is not over Nick um, because she's, like, the bitch, obviously. Um, And Wendy's trying to get Nick back. And, like, Kim is oddly cool with the whole situation. Like, I totally get being a trusting significant other like that is a good part of a healthy relationship but like if someone is kissing my boyfriend in the hallway i'd be like nah it's also um like it's off-putting it's like what what kind of like weird situation are you living in your life that it's like um this is also like maybe her parents were hippies and they were like free love man like but who knows i don't know Kim is just like way too okay with it. Like I'm like I totally get that. Like we're trying to set up Kim as like the caring, charismatic girl. Like she's supposed to be like quote the final girl in the sense that she is the main female protagonist. But like there's not really a final anyone in this movie. Um, but you know, regardless, like. Kim is just way too okay with the Wendy situation. And, like, maybe ultimately at the end of the day, it's because she knows that, like, Wendy's just going through her own shit. And she's like, I'm not concerned about this bitch because she's fucked up in the head. Um, And, like, I know, like, I'm confident in my relationship with Nick. But, like, you're also teenagers. So, like, you shouldn't be too confident in anything. In anything whatsoever other than, like... I want to say your sense of self in, like, the sense of, like, um, yay, I'm trying to be, like, a a positive role model for listeners out there under the age of 18 or whatever. But, like, listen, I'm almost 30, and I'm not even really confident in my sense of self. But we'll all get there. Mm -hmm. So that was just my PSA. Be confident in yourself. Right. And, like, the other thing for any teenage listeners out there, I am 30. Um, and while life certainly continues to get better as you age, um, ultimately high school does feel like the penultimate of your life in the moments that you're living it, but it's a pressure cooker of the time in which you should be figuring out who you are. So pay those bitches no mind. Okay. Unless they pay your bills. Right. But you probably not in high school like grave of us not being able to get back out so let's cut this conversation (laughs) off real quick that's fair cut it off the limb it's it's done so so now again we're jumping back and forth so the guy has escaped they're searching for him now jamie lee is in the auditorium where we see this like super overpriced prom setup for the first time and she's like you know what i'm just gonna practice my dance moves for a second and then because apparently Uh, Wendy is stalking her she puts the spotlight on and like that's the second time where I'm like girl Kim 
you are keeping your cool far too much. Like, at least curse this girl out. You know what I mean? Um, you're not doing anything. And, like, it's aggravating because, like, oh, my God, I think I just cracked the nut. I think I understand why I'm aggravated by this movie so much. Okay, give it to me. Um, because there's really no conflict in it. Oh, that could, yeah, that makes sense. It's just kind of like, um, there is like, okay, so there's the tragic event that sets up the the backdrop for what's going to occur, but mm-hmm. there's no, there's no actual struggle right, to it's provide like, any sort of character development. And I feel right. like that's where I was also having a problem when I was like, per my notes, this is basically Saturday Night Fever with a murder. Yes, exactly. Like, like the the disco thing was far too featured, and like for me to say that is something. But like, yeah, yeah, like there's a disco prom. I get it. Like I wish my prom was a disco prom with every fiber of my being. But like, it's also a horror movie. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be a slasher flick, and like, again, not until the prom starts does anything really actually happen with the slasher part. So again, we're jumping back and forth. The guy has escaped. He's stolen a car with... It's a nurse's car, and she was in the car. They find her body. Um, It's the end of the school day. The police are still, like, all on high alert. Like, obviously, they should be, because there is a criminal out there. Um, But they're convinced this is the criminal that also had something to do with Robin's death. Um, And they don't know that that's not the case. But, like... Also, like, then it becomes about the police department being at the prom for, like, a good 10 minutes. And it's not about anything else. When in reality, if there's a prom going on, it should be about the people who are going to the prom and not the police department that are now scouting out the prom. Um, And so there's, like, a brief moment of, you know, Jamie Lee getting ready for the prom, Wendy getting ready for the prom, You know, I will say um, a lot of this movie is still very 70s. And, like, yes, it was filmed in 1979, but if it was coming out in 1980, the aesthetic of it should have evolved to be of 1979, unless this was supposed to be, like, a heyday of disco period piece. Which which, they they don't address at all. Exactly. So, like, Jamie Lee's dress is 100% like, Middle of the 70s, like, I'm going to Studio 54, like, big, loose, silky fabrics. My boobs are not prominent. Like, I'm just going to dance kind of dress. And she's got her hair that all looks good. Um, And then, like, Wendy on the opposite side of the spectrum is in this, like, red, like, gross, like, sequined, cheap-ass, sparkly, like, cha-cha whore dress situation going on. Oh, yeah, it's very um, cha-cha and grease. But my notes, so, like, she's, like, practicing in, like, in the gym, right? Like, just doing her her dance routine Mm -hmm. solo. And then, like, I forget what it was, but something happened that, like, drew their attention outside. So, Jamie Lee is, like, mid-clothed, like... Her boobs are all out, and I my notes say, Jamie Lee Curtis, put your boobs away. I feel weird. Oh, right. Yeah, I got way ahead of ourselves. because No, it's fine. It's fine. But oh, I was right. like, I so need to address that about... Jamie Lee makes me feel weird if I mm-hmm. see her 
unclothed. You're talking about when Jamie Lee Curtis, or well, when Kim, when Kim and Kelly are in the locker room. Yeah. Oh, I actually wrote something down about this because, like, what had this the hell happen? Like, yeah, by, this is the, the thing state. where, like, they're um, all the all of their photos are torn out of the yearbook and taped into their locker with a piece of glass. Right, but so, but when they're in the locker room, the thing that happens is the mirror behind them breaks, and the and like the break pattern, like the shatter pattern, is that of like a bullet hitting it, like. I don't know, like throwing a rock at it or something. And it's like, who broke the mirror? Like, we're supposed to think that, like, maybe it's the creepoid that is the stalker, maybe. But, like, what? Yeah, there's uh, no, nothing. There's They're grasping at straws. They're like, let's break this thing, but not tell you why or right, how so, or any right. information. So, like, regardless, like, we're jumping around here, but it's because... Everything that's, is so fragmented, right? That's this movie. So like, so, like, I'm realizing now we have to jump back because I have other questions. So, Jude, the other girl. Okay. Um, she's on her way to school that morning. Um, and if you recall, she's, like, she's walking down the street, just walking down the street. Some rando dude with a rape van pulls over and is, like, do you want to ride? And she's like, yeah, Slick, of course I do. Yeah. And I'm like, Jude. His name is Slick. His name is technically Seymour. But like, and then like in the course of literally five seconds goes from this rando kid who she doesn't even know if he goes to her school or not. They are strangers. He is now giving her a ride to school they are now going to the prom together and like doing the do and like basically dating, like literally in the course of five seconds, like calm down. Like I get it. Like it's great to have a date to the prom and all these things, but like Jude is also a pretty girl. Like maybe she's into derps. Like, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of pretty girls who are into derps. And, um, you know, derps totally have their pros and cons. But, like, she so 100% fell, like, basically head over heels in love with this Seymour kid. Um, in, in like, 15 minutes. And, like, she didn't know him. You know what I mean? And, like, I don't know how big their high school is, but wouldn't you have known if you went to school with him? Like, come on. Yeah, and, so, like... And my There's, notes, my notes on this guy is pulls up in a murder van, mm-hmm. and it's giving me the gags. I was like, exactly. I don't like it. Nope. Exactly. So like, and then there's Kelly and her like potentially jock boyfriend, um, but like all he has on his mind is the sex, um, and Kelly, like she's just. Like, honestly, like, yeah, she's totally high strung. She still is, even as a teenager. Like, this girl would probably scream at, like, the wind blowing the wrong way. But, like, it is totally her choice to not be ready to have sex. Right? Um, Because consent is everything. Consent is everything. Fast forwarding a little bit, when they're at the prom and they're making out in the locker room, like... 
Kelly was like about it for a couple minutes. And then like, I think he unzipped his pants and she was like, you know what? No, like hard stop. And like, he was not going to stop. And I'm glad that Kelly was able to like remove herself from that situation by like being like, no, like stop it. Yeah, because like, again, consent is everything and no means no. And you need to right. respect women's <laughs> bodies. Oh my God. Where's your Diet Coke? Oh my God, I have some water. Give me a second. Girl. Um, whew. But then like also, like again, douche bro is like, oh, you're not going to let me stick my D in your P? Well then, bye. <laughs> Yeah, he is like, he is the you know, douchiest of douches. We're just we're continuing this through line of copulators die first. Guys are gross. He okay. even says to her, if you won't, someone else will. Right. And then like you see him go out back to the prom and he like finds some girl that he starts canoodling and she's like, Oh yeah, like come on, let's go do it. Like five minutes, that's all it took. Like, come on, douche bro. Like, come on. But um yeah, so that that's what's going on with Kelly. And then Nick, his father happens to be the police sergeant. Um, and uh, so, like, that's kind of, like, where the tie-in between the two main storylines are. But, like, this whole... Very loose. Thing, very loose. And this whole police thing is just, like, exhausting me at this point. And I'm just, like, stop it. Like, getting back to, like, the beginning part of the movie, there are there are some very good shining parts of this movie. So, like, the first thing I very much appreciate is that um, the four kids who were a part of Robin falling out the window and they're, like, semi-accomplices in, like, probably, what, like, second or third degree murder? Because it wasn't first degree. But the slasher murder dude... Uh, who, of course, is in shadow um, with a masked voice. He starts calling all of them in the morning to be like, do you remember what happened? Like, tonight, you know, is the prom and and we're going to play. And they do a really good job of, like, setting up, like, this is who these people are and this is what you should know about them. Because every time he calls one of them, the movie flashes back to a picture of them as their younger selves. And I was like... Oh, like, I very much appreciate that. Like, that is good storytelling, right? Also, this movie was filmed in Canada, but in when the uh, creaky voice killer is dialing their phone numbers, they use a 614 area code, which is Columbus. <gasps> Another Ohio movie? Mm-hmm. Girl. So Halloween happened in Ohio. Well, yeah. Illinois. Illinois. Um, so Midwest, Midwest movies. Yeah. Girl. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so there's that. Um, little tidbit of information in case mm-hmm. you need to like get a general locale of where this is set. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me though, that it's like, you know, somewhere in that general, like flatland area. Mm-hmm. Lots so. of farm, a lot of, not a things, a lot of things to do. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, other than to murder people, you know? Yeah. Um, um so yeah so i appreciate that i'm glad they did that i was like this is honestly not only is it good storytelling it's responsible storytelling because like if someone's like i don't understand like what's going on like the the production team could just be like exhibit a you should know exactly what's going on right (coughs) so there's that oh my god i have heartburn that's what this coughing is oh no 
It's from the morning pizza. Why did I do that to myself? I'm jealous. I didn't have morning pizza. Well, you shouldn't be jealous because this is giving me heartburn now. But again, so now, you know, we've we've rewound. Now we're back to the scene in the um, locker room. How does that mirror break? We don't know. But Kelly and Kim are like, the fuck is going on? I do agree with you. Um, Kim should have buttoned up her shirt before opening an exterior door to the school because now she's just flashing the entire neighborhood. It just felt weird and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. But then soon as so now, whatever they thought was going on outside wasn't going on outside. They go back in and now Kelly's like, Kim, look. And there's a piece of the mirror missing. Um, Now, also, I'm just realizing now another connection between a lot of the movies we've done so far. Broken mirrors. Yeah. Like in the last three episodes. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're just we're starting to like really nail down like what are these tools that people use in horror movies? And apparently glass breaking is one of them. Tools of the trade. So they're like, uh-oh, that's probably not good because, like, it's sharp and, like, I don't want to get stabbed. So, like, let's get the fuck out of here. And now there's that scene where Kim is going to her locker. She's hearing, like, noises. And so now she's, like, running. And, like, finally we're starting to, like, have the creation of at least, like, a little bit of a spoopy, poopy atmosphere. Like, what is going on? Yeah. Um. And then this is where all the people, they go to their lockers the next morning. Well, it's not the next morning because the prompt's that night. But they're all going to their lockers at the end of the day. And and their pictures are there. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Um, wait, actually, Wendy's picture is taped to the inside of her locker in the um, in the locker room. Yeah, it is. Because they're all getting changed. And Wendy's like, what the fuck is this to Kelly? And Kelly's like... I don't know. And she storms out and then the mirror breaks. Anyway, so the four of them, Wendy, Kelly, Jude. Um, actually, I don't think we see Nick find a picture in his locker, but the three girls at least, like they're finding their pictures in their locker. Um, we saw the the killer rip their pictures out of the yearbook, which like those things are expensive. So like this guy is crazy. Right. Yeah, they're like, I mean, I remember when we graduated, they were like almost a hundred bucks. They're a hefty penny for someone in high school. Like that's that 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 that's like a pyramid marketing thing. Like Oh, it is. Come on. Um, yeah. So now it's the prom. So everyone's getting ready for the prom. Um uh after school, Wendy's like, hey Lou, go to the prom with me because my original plan didn't work out. Like she's that girl. And, like, Lou is, like, okay, fine. Um, I've got nothing better to do anyway. She takes him to, like, a drive-in, like, diner. And he, like, gets all the food. Again, driving home the point that, like, what, Italians are in the mob. They're gross and they eat a lot. Like, fuck you. And she's basically, like, I want you to do something to Kim and Nick that will scare them. But, like, it won't hurt them. Like, it seems, like, very a la... Carrie at the prom yeah that's what I've alluded to and I was like I I get it it's more of like a revengey weird thing going on but without any sort of concrete anything Mm -hmm. exactly like Wendy's just being a bitch like you don't have any control over Nick you have no possession over him he is a free man you are a free woman 
go sow your seeds if you really feel like you must. Like, don't be a bitch. But that's basically what she's doing. Lou's like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll make it happen. And so now Nick shows up to take Kim to the prom to her house. Lou shows up to Wendy's house. Now, Wendy, we have seen, has like a live-in maid. Um, We never see her parents. That's definitely a choice of the filmmakers to show like what this girl is working with. Like, you know. But, like, we see, like, she has, like, a nice-ass car. So, like, she is from money. Lou shows up in this, like, jalopy um, with an open bottle of Jack and his two bimbo friends in the backseat. Like, dumbos, not bimbos, but regardless. And she's like, the fuck is going on? And and Lou's like, well, they needed a ride. And she was like, they couldn't get a ride with somebody else? That's the one time that I agree with her. Like, if somebody is taking you to the prom... Like, unless the carpool situation has been decided beforehand, you can't, like, spring that on somebody. You know what I mean? That's like, um, what was the 70s saying? Um, ass, grass, or gas? Something like that. And he wasn't giving out any of that. No, there was none of it. And, like, also you're drinking and driving. Like, come on, dude. Life choices. Choices. Like, stop. Choices. That's how I feel about this movie. It's... A kerfuffle of life choices that are not made well. Mm -mm. There were too many things put into this pot to try and like make one cohesive stew. Right. And And none of it, none of it melded together. Right. No, except for like now, like here's like, so from like this moment on is where it seems like maybe they made the movie they wanted to, to begin with was the prom night starts And then things happen. And it's like, from there on, that's when I do genuinely enjoy this movie. The first 45 minutes, I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's prom night. Obviously. They're at the prom. It's disco prom. So now it's like, sparkles, disco, shiny, rhinestone sequins, all the things, like light up dance floor. The stage has those strip lights that are like doing their own dances. We have the knockoff disco music playing. And this is where I'm like, I'm living my life. I am so envious of Jamie Lee Curtis right now in all of her glory. Like, oh my God, this is the prom I need and want in my life. Um, Like, this is where I'm like, this is the prom night that I was promised, right? So prom is happening. There is a point where Kim is dancing with her father, Leslie Nielsen. And I feel like, She's dancing rather promiscuously with her father. And that's a little uncomfortable. That's yeah. A, it's a lot uncomfortable. I'm not okay um, with it. I at any at the point of that happening, I was watching it and I was like, wait, is that her dad? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, that's kind of gross. Um, and then Wendy shows up and she's like, Oh my god, Wendy's here. Nick, we have to do our dance. Let's go. And then, like, the C's part, the whole dance floor opens up. And then there's this, like, five-minute choreographed dance number between... Oh, my God. It was so long. It's so long. I don't care what anyone says. I'm living for every second of it. Like, this is my prom night. Everything is all right. You know, like, oh, my God. I can't even deal with it. Um... So they're done with their dance. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I'm pretty sure that is Jamie Lee and um, Casey Stevens, who plays Nick, 
who actually did the dance. Like, I didn't see any, um, like, cuts where there was, like, maybe body doubles or anything. Like, I think that was them doing the dance. And, like, that was some pretty good dancing. So, holler. Yeah, way to go with that choreography. I mean, they probably practiced that in their living room, like, so hard. Yeah. Um, and, and so now we've gone on from the first original song, Prom Night, to this other one called Changes, which I think is literally about puberty. Oh, I mean, it's on brand for this movie, basically. It definitely is. But, like, I'm pretty sure, like, the lyrics are something along the lines of, like, changes. I'm going through changes. Um, like, I'm changing for you. Like, all of these insinuations of, like, puberty first loves prom night etc and i'm just like you know if someone gave somebody like a half an hour to come up with knockoff disco songs because they couldn't use the actual ones because of copyrights and all that mm-hmm. you did a pretty knock-up job yeah way to go paul zaza um so i'm still a little bit concerned about how much of the budget they used on the actual prom scene because it seems like they blew the entire thing on that but then if that's the case, I'm living for it. Like, thank you. Thank yeah. you for making this Disco Madness prom a reality. That's um, basically what this movie is, Disco Madness. Right. So so now, finally, we're getting to the slasher movie part. So, so the first round of dancing is over. The girls go and have their girl time in the bathroom. Kelly's like, I think we're about to do it. So this is now when, you know, we see Kelly and her boy toy in the locker room kelly's like you know what never mind you unzip your pants this scares me please leave me alone um he goes off and does it with some other girl and like it takes her way too long to get her clothes back on like for someone who's that anxious she she would have put her clothes back on like instantaneously like her boobs are out Um, yeah i think there is like a, a boob glimpse there is. There's a boob glimpse. Like it's it, it and it's not just side boob, like it's the whole thing. Um also she had a bra on because the boy that was, you know, fondling her was holding it. She didn't put her bra back on. She just put her dress up. Like what? what is, eh, what's going on? This is the first time we finally see the killer in action. What is he holding? The shard of glass from the broken mirror. Bum, and what bum, does he bum. do with that? He slits Kelly's throat. I feel like the first kill was pretty, like, boom, done. So, like, you're thinking, okay, this is, like, the standard slasher dude. Like, he at least kind of knows what he's doing because he does it with conviction. That's where I feel like the killer starts to go downhill from there. And this is another point of the movie which I very much appreciate. I feel like this killer guy... They did a good job of really cementing the fact that, like, he's a newbie. Like, this is his first round, likely his only round, because he feels like he's doing vengeance killing. And this is the only other reason that I like Wendy. Because Wendy puts up a fight. Like, she runs, she is looking for weapons, she creatively and intelligently hides this guy is really having to hunt her down and i think my favorite part is like the scene where they're in the auditorium she slips on the mat and she falls over 
where most women would then have just been, you know, killed because the killer catches up to them immediately, she gets up and she runs in those heels. And those were chunky 70s heels. So those are not comfortable to run in. She was running for her life. Did your mom own those? I mean, I don't know. She really, I don't, I, there's like no, there, there's no, there, there's no, like, anything remaining from her old life as a disco queen. So I don't know. I really don't. I want to ask. When uh, I see her, I will pick yeah, her brain. We're going to have to, like, investigate a little bit. Maybe we'll have to do, like, a formal sit-down interview or something. Um, Ooh, mom intervention about her disco days. Camille Polino, former disco queen. Ooh. Is, uh, is that on her resume as a professional? I really hope so. <laughs> That's how she her. got a job as a teacher. <laughs> That'll get her any job, girl. Any yep. job. Oh, you're a disco queen? We like you. All the money, give it to her. Yeah, all the money, all the monies. But yeah, so like, I really appreciate how like the hunting, the killing, it seems real. Like it it doesn't seem like it's like boom, done, boom, done. Like it's not Jason, it's not Michael. Like it seems rather realistic. It's very sloppy and very clunky in the same time. Like you can definitely tell that this, like this was not like a seasoned killer. Like this was somebody who they are not in the mood for anybody's bullshit and someone's going to pay for it. And like, I really super duper appreciate that. So like, this is really where I'm like, okay, now I've invested enough time in this movie. I'm glad there's some type of payoff. Like, thank you very much, Paul Lynch for like doing this for me. And obviously it's for me, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, But so Unfortunately, Wendy is eventually tracked down because she's in the janitor's closet. Um, I do like how there's that moment where um, we don't know if that dripping red liquid is paint or, you know, bad fake blood. And then it turns out to be bad fake blood because Kelly's body falls from the ceiling and her screaming um, you know, lets the killer know where she is after her like full on like you know, jaunt around the school, basically. Um, Killer gives it to her in the face with that axe, though. Like, that must have hurt. For that at least. felt good. Yep. Yeah, it didn't feel good, probably. Um, I hope I hope the first place that he made contact with her was her cranium. Because um, no one deserves to, like, be hacked in the chest with an axe. Like, that's not fair to anyone, you know. Um but so that's that's that. Kelly's gone. And now Jude and Loverboy, Seymour, Slick, dude, like, they've already exited the premises. Like, they're in his van, I guess, on school property. But, like, where? It, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense because they're, like, doing it in the van and they get out of the van. And he crushes his glasses so he can't fucking see. Oh, so sir. then they're like, then they're like, oh, we should do it on the bluffs. And he's like, oh the God. bluffs. Yeah, like, like, Jude is like all about this dick. Like she's like, you've awakened me sexually, Mister Derp Man. Thank you so much. Um, I want more of you in me. Slick um, dick. Slick dick. <laughs> she got that slick dick. Gross. Girl, slick got that dick. She got dick down by slick. <laughs> all right, we'll stop. Um, thank you. <laughs> but then, like, so Seymour's like, wait, we shouldn't be doing this. I think somebody's here. Uh, because there is. Um, the killer is there. And because he's sloppy, he cracked, like, a branch or something on the tree. So they go back in the truck. Um, 
I love how he has a history book hollowed out and full of joints. Like, those were some, like, 70s, like, roaches. Like, those were, like, thick-ass joints. He probably used his um, history book to roll those. You're probably right. Like, that really paints a picture for me that I enjoy. Yes. Yeah. We're going to go with that as reality. Um, But, like, Jude is just like, I'm so in love with you. Like, you are perfect. You have marijuana. You have a penis. Like, you are willing to put it inside of me. Like, we are set for life. She's good to go for the next 15 minutes. Yeah. So, like, they're basically getting to know each other at this point because they didn't really know each other that well before. They're, like, smoking the ganja. And then the killer's, like, surprise, bitches. And he opens up the back door. Um, Jude's neck flings back. And, um, like, the killer has a perfect angle to just, like, shank her in the neck which he does especially because they're doing um two of the things that you shouldn't do drugs and sex drugs the drugs and the sex don't do it so yeah um like honestly this could have been a scene from reefer madness like that's how much this was a psa for not doing the sex and doing the drugs but anyway um so now seymour's like oh my god no the one girl who was willing to have sex with me what am i gonna do now um and he's like, I'm going to shut this door and I'm going to get out of here. How would you, how would you describe this van scene? Um, um, it is very like Mad Max in the desert. He is doing some, right? he's doing some stunt work, which is a funny, funny little segue. I was reading a little, little trivia, little IMDb notes. The stunt driver that actually drove that van stole it in real life. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, to me, this is very, like, we are put, again, we're putting all these things into this pot that don't go together. Uh-huh. They don't make any fucking sense. When did he, um, without glasses, as a pretty much blind person, Good when point. when does he, I mean, me, myself, as a blind person, when does he, mm. like, get the gumption and ability to navigate that treacherous terrain in circles, literally just doing donuts, trying to shake this dude off. But I mean, it doesn't end well for him anyway, because oops. Yeah. I mean, also as a person who is blind without their glasses, like I, for one, know I would like, I wouldn't be able to see anything. No, that wouldn't be a drivable situation. And especially in like this wooded area. Um, but we do know that they're near a cliff because they were just, you know, boinking a few minutes ago by the bluffs. Um, oh, they didn't even get to the boinking. Mm, oh, right. Yeah, because he was like, mm, never mind, there's there's a noise. But, I mean, I, I can picture the scene with the driving in circles and the killer, like, hanging off the side of the truck. You know that, like, really schmaltzy music that they put over, like... Um, all the all of the clowns getting out of a clown car like yeah da, 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 da. yeah yeah like that's basically what I'm picturing here like this is almost on the verge of comical um, um that and like <coughs> when they're he's like mm, I feel a little uncomfortable because I feel like there's someone watching me he's blind as fuck and she's leading him back to the van like the mm-hmm. heroine that she is like don't mm-hmm. worry I got you it's fine mm-hmm. like hey Jude women can do it for themselves yes hey Jude like it's okay. But then, like, so here's the other thing. So now he's blind. He's driving in circles. 
he drives this van off the side of the cliff, uh, which culminates in an explosion in which, you know, Seymour Slick is now dead. We never see the killer, like, jump out of or off of the car. Thank you. Uh, I was like, oh, that's it? He's done? They killed him? Like, right. in a fiery blaze off the edge of the cliff? But right. no, no, no. No, exactly. no, no. Exactly. So, like, did they forget to film him jumping off of the car? Like, there's nothing here that proves to us the killer hasn't died. So continuity issues, hi. That's this entire movie. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah, it, it basically is. But so so now that's that's two down. No, that's three down. All the girls are dead. Nick's not dead, but all the girls are dead now. Um that were that were involved in the the situation. So now we go back to the prom. It's prom night and everything is all right. Like it's one of those earworms. Like Arthur has been so angry at me because I keep singing it around the house and there's really only one line to the song. He's like Nicholas. Uh, so Restrain I strain yourself. Yeah, I apologize to my husband formally on the podcast right now. I'm sorry, Arthur. But yeah, so now we're back inside. We're at the prom. And now this is where like even more shit and shenanigans happens because we have Lou plan going on in conjunction with the killer's plan going on. And somehow in this whole hullabaloo of issues, Lou ties up Nick, puts the crown on his head while they're waiting to be announced. And then this like, obviously like semi-timid, totally not super strong slasher killer guy, somehow in one foul swoop, hacks off Lou's head thinking it's Nick. But like Lou has a really fucking thick neck. Right. I don't see that being reality. Obviously it's not, but like, I don't, I honestly don't think anyone, unless, you know, you're using a guillotine is really going to be able to hack someone's head off with a blade in like one swoop. So um, there's that issue. But so like now oopsie poopsie, Lou's dead instead of Nick because Nick is like hogtied and you know in the corner um, with a gag in his mouth. Um, but then like in this like apparently superhuman swing that the killer takes, he not only lobs off Lou's head, which then rolls onto stage, um, he also like smacks the axe into like an electrical panel on the wall, which then shocks him so hard that he's flown back into some type of, like, fainting unconsciousness moment. Also, sidebar, Jamie Lee Curtis on the other side of the stage, which is assumingly only a few feet away, doesn't notice any of this happening. Yes. Um, But so now, of course, there's somebody's severed head on stage. So everyone at the disco prom is like, holy fuck, there's someone's head on the stage, which is heavily lit in this, like, 70s, super-saturated, like, gorgeous, beautiful, grainy, Vaseline-laden filter of light. Um, So let's get out of here. And so now we're, like, really, like, almost a couple minutes away from the end. Everything happens really quick. So Jamie Lee is like, the fuck is going on? I kind of forget why, but she obviously goes to the other side of the stage, finds Nick, and then they're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. 
And then, like, Jamie Lee very much valiantly with no fear in her heart, like, jumps over Lou's head. Like, I've never been around somebody's real severed head before, but I don't think I'd want to get very close to it. Um, Yeah, no, that's not for me either. The dichotomy of the situation is, like, so delicious to me because there is disco music blaring the stage is like you know doing its light dance the dance floor is doing its light dance and now we have this face-off between jamie lee curtis slash kim with nick who's like half conscious still and then the killer who's in all black with the ski mask he's got an axe um and they're basically like having a west side story type fight on a disco floor while disco music is blaring. And this is where I ask myself, is this another fever dream of mine? Because I feel like it is, you know? So Jamie Lee is dodging. Again, this guy is very sloppy. Um, She, like, tries to hit him with a chair, but, like, totally misses. Um, Nick is, like, caught in the kerfuffle as well. Jamie Lee somehow gets the axe away from the murder. I mean, like, I think Nick knocks it out of his hand. But regardless, Jamie now has the axe in her hands. And she, like, I mean, I don't know. Does she hit him with the blunt side of the axe or the sharp side of the axe? Because, honestly, that's debatable given the injury that the killer ends up having. I don't know. I feel like if she had hit him in the face with the sharp end of the axe... He wouldn't have just had, like, a swollen, bloody eye. Way It should have been way more significant yeah. damage than what was presented. Because it basically just kind of was like, ow, you gave me an ouchie. Um, yeah, thanks for the paper cut on the eye, asshole. <laughs> and then, like, he gets up and stares Jamie Lee slash Kim in the face. And Kim has this moment of recognition, like, Oh my god, it's my it's my brother Alex. And she's like, no, it can't be. But he's like, it's true. And like, not only has whatever injury that Jamie Lee has inflicted to her oh, by the way, spoiler alert, the killer is her brother who has gone insane because he actually witnessed his um twin sister get semi-murdered by these four children. Um, so he has snapped and is getting revenge for his sister on these people. Um, he like kind of like goes off into the front of the school and now he's like all delirious and like about to pass out. But Jamie Lee is like, oh my God, it's my brother. What is going on? I can't believe this. And then the police who have been there the whole time, as we know very well, are about to shoot this guy and then Jamie is like no don't do it in case we don't know what's going on when there was that moment of recognition where they locked eyes she peels back his ski mask and it is his brother it is her brother Alex then the movie yeah like it's literally literally credit like some song about like love and memories or some shit like that so yeah that's prom night as recapped by us um I feel like our telling of the story was no more confusing than the movie itself. Yeah, I'm not going to apologize for our fragmented episode because, hi, I saved you an hour and a half. True. You I know, mean, kind of, but whatever. This might have been an hour and a half of listening time for you, potentially. Um, maybe less. 
but like this is probably still more entertaining than the movie itself except for the disco prom part like I would probably Google that and maybe like there's a YouTube video of it because you should definitely see the disco prom. Disco, it's, um, it falls along the same lines of like comedically uncomfortable as like the entirety of Sleepaway Camp. Yes. Yeah. Like there's that uncomfortableness, especially with the violent scenes, like. Except Angela was far more cunning in, in, in her dealing of the pain to people. Like, yeah, Alex is just kind of like, you can very easily tell that he did not plan this, like, super yeah. well. This is his first round of killings, hopefully his last. I mean, there are multiple sequels to this movie. There's at mm-hmm. least, I think, three more. So I think there's, pro- yeah, because there, I have thing and it's like how they do the multi-packs of mm-hmm. horror movie. And it's prom night one two and four i don't know what happened to three i mean the second one has absolutely nothing to do with this movie i feel like that's i mean hi that's this entire movie has nothing to do with this movie (laughs) like the second one is about a girl that got killed at her prom and then her ghost comes back to seek revenge at another prom oh shut up i'm not watching that that's (laughs) that's ridiculous I mean, I don't know. I mean, I might, I might watch it. I'm I, not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I mean, we could always do like, um, when you come visit, we could do bad horror night, and yes, I we'll get that. We'll get all the terribly delicious food that we discussed earlier, and we'll oh stay inside God. and have bad horror night. That sounds glorious. I'm uh, just, I'm just in real time planning your visit because I'm not excited about it. Totally fine. Like we should. This is what we should be doing with our time, obviously. But yeah, so that's prom night. Um, pumpkin rating, pumpkin rating. Let's get to it. Oh my god, Jesus. Um, One to five. I'm gonna give this like a two point five. Oh, okay, that's fair. It's really more so because, <clears throat> like, the disco prom in itself gets a five. Yeah. But the movie itself gets a zero. So like, it's a, uh, median of the scores. You know, is that that how math works? It's not, but like, (laughs) that's how I'm describing it. Okay, all right. Because I was, I, I wish I could give this a zero because it's like one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Yeah, Yeah, but I'm gonna give it a two because Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that's your, that's where your point five comes in. Jamie Lee Curtis and your disco business come together and give it a two and a half. I so. mean, yeah, like th- there's a moment of like otherworldliness where Jamie Lee Curtis is not only in this movie but doing a choreographed disco dance routine at a disco prom. She did the bump. Ugh, it just it speaks to all of my interests so hard. Yeah, um, the theatrical poster is pretty cool too. Yeah, but like to speak on that for a moment, doesn't theatrical poster kind of insinuate that Jamie Lee has something to do directly with the murders? There, because okay, so there's like a lot of edits and stuff that they took out that like gave more um, like depth to this and like led you to believe that there was something more to be had. Like there was a whole deleted scene of Leslie Nielsen like chopping wood with that axe. They took that shit out. So it's gotcha. like, why, 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 why did you do this? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, and the tagline is, if you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. 
What a shitty fucking tagline. I know. Like, there are so many things about this movie that, like, <clears throat> even thinking back on it now after we just discussed it, make me uncomfortable. Um, none of it makes sense. Nope. Nope. Not a single fucking thing makes sense about this movie. Especially, like, you know, that weird Leonard situation. Like, I don't know. I can't get into it anymore because it's just going to do that thing where I get in my head about it and then I'm annoyed. So, yeah. yeah. But Jamie Lee Curtis, thanks for showing us your sweet dance moves, man. Yes. Like, I'm impressed. And, yeah. So, um, uh, collective Ugh. score 2.25 pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh huh. Yep. All right. So, um, Next episode, episode seven, we're doing a collab with Cult Classic Mania. Um, and we're going to be covering The Thing. Yeah, John Carpenter's The Thing, which we're going to unpack it. And you're going to see how it's actually not totally unrelated. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll do some <clears throat> digging. I mean, Arthur already did some of the research for us. Thanks a bunch. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh... keep uh, keep on creeping on, friends, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, so bye. Bye.